This episode of Hockey Press Pass is presented in part by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village. Unplug your game. Buy board games. Play board games. Food and drink. Fun. And friends. Jake's McDonald, name three players from your time as the voice of the New York Islanders that you feel were vastly underrated. I'm going to start with Stefan Persson. Uh, Steph, to me, was the ideal right side defenseman. You look at the assists that he put up over, I think it was eight or nine seasons, well over 300 assists. A lot of them, the first assists, a lot of them were uh, rebounds, guys in front of the net. I mean, he had a more than decent shot from the right side. Stefan, to me, totally highly underrated in that same uh, situation a swedish uh, guy who won a lot of face-offs good uh, defensive forward you know where i'm going anders Kaller. anders short-handed goals penalty killing uh selkie nominee i believe at one point then i'm going to fast forward to the 93 team and i'm going to say Derek king for an 85 draft pick yeah there were several other guys but Derek king well over 70 points, I think three or four years in a row, played the left side. Uh, I felt that he contributed a lot. You look at the 93 team that uh, that ousted Pittsburgh, there were some guys who had scored big goals, maybe bigger than Derek. But uh, overall, Kinger, to me, was highly underrated. And how nice it is to see him as a coach of an NHL team right now. Love yeah. the Stefan Pearson choice. Like, what a player. And Andy Caller, like, how you look at his NHL career, he, did, he, he was pretty successful, isn't he? Yeah, he was only around, I think, uh, six seasons. It runs yeah. to my mind. It was a short time. But, uh, boy, you know, all the accolades that go to Butchie, finding that guy to take the pressure off Brian Trotje as your second-line center. Uh, when you consider the banana line, the helicopter line, all the things that we called the, those guys, but between Wayne Merrick and Anders Keller as third and fourth line centers, wow, strength down the middle was incredible. Amazing. What a team and, and what a voice that we had to call those games. Uh, uh, you're well, too kind. <laughs> welcome to Hockey Press Pass, presented by Instat Hockey. Our guest is Jiggs McDonald, the legendary NHL play-by-play announcer and recipient of the Foster Hewitt Memorial Award from the Hockey Hall of Fame. In 2017, when he called games of the Islanders and Kings, it marked 50 years for Jiggs in the business. While he was the voice of the Kings, Atlanta Flames, and Florida Panthers during his career, of course, for many of us, Jiggs is an iconic and beloved figure for his time with the New York Islanders dynasty and the roller coaster of a decade that followed that i had the pleasure of uh working with him and we had a lot of last didn't we my friend yeah we did we did good times bad times but uh, we, we made the most of the deck that uh, was dealt or the way the cards came out of that deck anyway chris i would say so um what was it like for you, you know, because you were there for a lot of the talk of the what was going to happen to the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Bill Torrey even had architectural designs in his draw at one point in the early 1990s, Lighthouse on and on. But to be there as I was, and it was so great to see you, my friend, but to be there and to be part of the opening of UBS Arena, they, they, what were your emotions? I, I was... I, I was overwhelmed, really, when I got the call. Uh, I got a 
kind of an indication that a call was coming that uh, you know be be prepared. Uh, I, I just said, "Really, me? You want you want me? You know, it's it's Brendan's team now from a television standpoint, or or Chris King. Um, these guys are well known to your your audience today. No, you used the word iconic, and that that was mentioned. You are who the people relate to from the from the Coliseum and making the move, and you're going to be stunned. You're going to be amazed at how the similarities all play out with the uh, the new facility, and we really want you. Ownership wants you to do this. Uh, ownership has asked uh, a couple of uh, favors, I guess you could say, in the past, and have been very, very accommodating and great, just great. I, I don't want to say leaseholders, they're rights holders. They, they are, without a doubt, committed, committed to the fans. And that, that's obvious with the arena, Chris. Uh, they... They took everything into consideration and said, this is for you. Yeah, this is for the team. When you when you take a look at the uh, campus, as they call it, but when you take a look at the building overall, it, it's designed for the person who's paying the freight, buying the tickets, coming to the games. Yeah, the owners are going about it the right way. They 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 own the team, but they're stakeholders, and that like the fans, they know that this is a trust. That you know, maybe they'll own this team for decades, or their children will after. But they're approaching it the right way, as opposed to just making it about a real estate play or getting into it for other reasons. So I know that's deeply appreciated by all of us who, who've been who've been around the team. And you mentioned Brendan and Kanger and Howie as well. Uh, obviously, you know. What I would say is they'll hopefully win a cup in the next few years. And that's that would be the, and Brendan that would be the key. Yeah, and, and, and you won't be insulted, right? <laughs> Not at all. Can, the, I, can uh, I just take, Chris, can I just go back one second? The, the hands-on guy, of course, is John Ludecki. Every, everybody sees John. John John wants to talk to everybody, wants input. They, the quiet man in this whole thing is Mr. Malkin. Uh, he is as committed as committed to this ownership and what it's going to do and how it's going to treat the fans. As I said, very quiet behind the scenes, but man, is he involved? Is he hands on in a different matter than John? Well, uh, well that's great to hear. I, I know of some of that, but you've taken it even further and, and that is uh, really great to hear. And I'm sure the fans will love to hear that as well. This is a really broad question, but how does it feel to forever be remembered? You were with other teams and made your mark there too, but you did get to call the games of what a lot of people will say is the best team of all time, if not one of the best. And the one thing they can't take away from them, of course, is 19 uh, straight playoff series victories again for the people who aren't islander fans let me say that again 19 straight playoff series most mostly very long series that is like it's unimaginable right so you know so what's it what's it like jigs mcdonald to be associated with that it's uh it's unreal surreal um i, I was hesitant and I've told this story before. I've told many people, actually. Uh, when when Atlanta was moving to Calgary, and the choice uh, the choices were very limited. Actually, I had a couple of calls here, there. Um, the The Islander situation, when uh, it became known that I was taking that job, uh, a couple of friends, colleagues called and said, "What are you doing? That's a graveyard. 
graveyard. Look at the number of announcers. Look at the number of play-by-play guys who've gone through there. Uh, yeah, but, you know, the franchise is stable. They just won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, but, yeah, but. Um, it, it was a bit of a culture shock moving from Atlanta to uh, Long Island in a lot of ways. But in each one of our moves over the years was a learning process. Um, getting to, uh, to meet Mr. Pickett, and then discussing the situation with Bill Torrey. And Bill, he's, Bill up front said, I hope you join us. I hope you come with us because we're going to win this for a lot of years. I said, Bill. And I'd known Bill from the California days, of course. And he always called me Kenneth. And I used to say, W-A-T. Uh, I don't know. You know, if you go back to Philadelphia for game seven, do you, do you think you win that? that you know, that offside goal? If it, if it, uh, Kenneth, I promise. Come with us. For the ride, you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I did. It it, uh, it was amazing to be accepted the way I was too by by the audience. My my first, uh, I guess, 12, 13 years in the league. Basically, I felt I was doing missionary work, Chris, uh, teaching the game. Yes, Los Angeles had had a West uh, Western Hockey League team. I uh, had uh, some beer leagues, pickup leagues, this kind of thing. But overall. Um, you were teaching the game. Same in Atlanta, especially in Atlanta. There have been ice surfaces. Well, ice surface, excuse me. There was one as a practice rink when the, when the flames came into existence. So even though Atlanta was a more transient city, people who moved with Fortune 500 companies from the north, wherever, uh, to Atlanta, we were still teaching the game. Uh, with the Islanders, there was nobody with any direction, just do your thing. And to jump into that seat next to Eddie and, um, you know, be guided by 18, really, you know, your, your audience knows the game. Um, yeah, there were times that we did simulcast and you don't talk up or talk down or redescribe you, you know, down, straight down the middle, so to speak. So to have been accepted and uh, still welcome back the way I am is beyond words. How how you mentioned Eddie Westfall uh, was the was the chemistry on and off the ice uh, traveling together was it was it immediate or did it take some time? Yeah. No, it it was immediate. Immediate. Uh, I'd known Eddie's older brother uh, George. Um, actually, I guess George might have been a year younger than Eddie. George had played senior hockey in Ontario. Uh, there was a brother who had refereed, and uh, then Howie, of course, and I'd met his parents at various functions where uh, George had been playing. I didn't really know Eddie, except as a player, meeting him in the dressing room, talking from time to time. Uh, the fact that he and Bobby Orr were great friends. I had, and a lot of people don't know this story. I was district convener for what was called the Georgian Bay Minor Hockey Association through the Ontario Minor Hockey Association. At the time that Bobby was playing, in Perry Sound, his hometown. Uh, he came into our community or one of the communities I was supervising on a Friday evening. A guy by the name of Bucko McDonald handled all the, the teams, not related. Uh, Bucko had played uh, in the NHL. He'd been a member of parliament, quite a politician. Anyway, uh, Bucko, Bobby was uh, Batam age and Bucko said, uh, I've got a couple of boys that can't make the, the juvenile game. Juvenile was eight, uh, 16 to 18 years of age. One's got a job at the movie theater. Another one uh, that got some 
cattle or some situation on the farm, uh, can the kid play? No, the kid can't play. The kid can step up one category. He can, he can go bat him. He can also play midget, but he can't go two categories up. He cannot play the junior. Well, you know, you're being unfair to the local parents who come out to see their young lads play, and you're not going to let them play because uh, I can't put a team on the ice. Bucko, you can't do that. Oh, he said, I won't play him very much. Well, he didn't get off the ice in the Batham game. He maybe missed one shift in the in the midget game, and he played all night in the juvenile game. And, of course, Perry Sound won all three. Now I've got the parents of the hometown down my throat, down my neck. What are you doing letting this kid play? But, oh, I mean, Bobby Orr. So, anyway, going back to any Bobby Orr, the association there, we just uh, we meshed immediately. Oh, that's great. I, you know, I was thinking while you were answering, you know, jigs and eddies. I hope you're okay with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, forever uh, linked uh, for good reason. And I was actually thinking about announced teams in New York. I mean, obviously, I think of the scooter, and but he had different announcers. I'm trying to think of like other pairings, obviously, Mike and the Mad Dog on a, on a talk radio. But in terms of, you know, people forever linked, uh, I mean, you guys are right up there and uh, for good reasons. And it's such a joy to see both of you uh, that you're still around the team and, and always back and welcome back. So uh, you've mentioned a warm relationship with Bill Torrey. One thing we talk about on this show a lot is uh, uh, the, the play-by-play announcers. Uh, we've had Howie on, I uh, had Kenny Albert on and, and talking about wanting to get the lines from the coach in advance at the morning skate used to drive Peter Laviolette uh, a little bit crazy uh, back in the day when we were together. What was your relationship with Al Arbor personally, but also in terms of Al filling you and perhaps Eddie in together to help you make your, make your jobs a bit easier or to inform the, the viewers? Al, Al didn't give us a whole lot of help. Uh, and at that time, I, I think, just watching the morning skates, you saw the line rushes, you knew who was uh, was going to be working with whom, and you got a pretty good feel for the, your goaltender. And uh, and Smitty, having known Billy Smith when he was with L.A., Smitty game day would just give me a nod. like, And then you knew because he was so snarly that the uh, net was his that night. You didn't have to ask. Um, Al, Al was good, though. We, we could talk to Al anytime. Al would uh, give us some information, but he was pretty pretty tight-lipped uh, when it came to his lines. And at that time, I think we all got the lines from the other broadcaster. And you, you mentioned, uh, Peter, Scott Gordon. Scott Gordon, if he saw you talking to the announcers or anybody from the other team, oh, my Lord, you were persona non grata. Get over there. Don't, don't, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. Um, yeah. Uh, and now, of course, you go on the the World Wide Web, and there are the lines uh, from this morning's practice. Here's the way the Islanders will play tonight, or any any of the other NHL teams. Yeah, it's a good point about Al. Is that you know back then the expectations probably weren't as much too. Now it, it, the uh, broadcasters, and, and it's totally right of them, but there's this feeling that they are given so much access and given storylines or things to look for. Also makes sense that Al. Uh, handled his team like a family and he was big on things staying internal. So he might, he trusted you implicitly. I knew, I know yeah. that. I saw that firsthand, but he also might want to be careful about saying things for fear that it might come out on, on the air, even harmless stuff. 
but the Scott Gordon thing's uh, not surprising, kind of amazing. <laughs> and uh, I'll laugh when Scott winds up being, and I like Scott, but when he winds up working in the media as an analyst someday, the guy, the guy, you know, uh, that's usually what happens, like torts right now. Uh, but I digress, my friend. Um, do you have, I'm sure you're asked this a million times, but a favorite, from your Islanders time, a favorite moment or game? Um, or drive several. So, okay, two or three that come to mind. My, oh, for me, it's always the, for me, it's always to come back in Pits, against Pittsburgh. That's the '93 comeback. As a fan, no, in '80, you know, before the third cup, because oh, yes. it looks like they're done, right? Yes, yeah. That that would be my number one. Uh, I of course wasn't there for the 1980 Cup, but '81. So I've got one Stanley Cup ring, and here we are on the, on the verge of being eliminated. And, and that on the heels of, uh, you know, knocking off Pittsburgh at home, going in their best of five series, as, as you recall. And on that uh, that Saturday night, and again, it's an Easter weekend, we, we stay over, or they, they lose, and now we have to check into the hotel again. And I think the reason they lost is everybody's walking across the street from the hotel to the arena, bags in hand going home after the game and here are the penguins arriving car by car and saying, hey, look at these guys. Oh yeah. Well, they watch us walk back to the hotel and, uh, and check in again for game number four and then lose that on the Sunday night and uh, come home. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, that this is a short run once uh, two Stanley cups, one that I've been around for, but boy, and then for that game to, to go the way it did, uh, you have to come from behind and tie it up. And win it in OT, and the the, the chance. I think it was it Mike Bullard. Mm -hmm. Bullard, I think, had the chance to, to beat Smitty. Um, wow, yeah. Any, anyway, that that comeback, that comeback for Cup number three was amazing. There's a series against the Rangers always come to mind. Of course, uh, that that uh, that that just is so special. Um, and I think. I think back to the uh, the Vancouver game that went to overtime on home ice before we went out there, and uh, the great goal that that Mike Bossy scored out there, the almost like a flying goal, similar to the Bobby Orr goal that has been so heralded. Uh, yeah, they're, they're just Bob Bourne, rink length, you know, end to end. Uh, they're just they're just so many memories. That Islander team. You set the style of game. You as the opposition, how do you want to play it tonight? You want to be physical? We'll match you. And you want to get into a track meet? You want to grind it out? We've got the guys that can handle that as well. And then, of course, you had those two guys in the net, whether it was uh, Chico backing up Billy or then you know, going to Kelly and, and on down the line. It, it just... Uh, just great times, great memories. And, and you know, it's amazing, too, because it's not just uh, the Stanley Cups, which is what oh, really all that matters, but you sprinkle in the 15th straight win before there was overtime, Bossy 15-50, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, quite, it's quite the highlight reel, my friend. Yes, it is. If you're yeah. looking for a gig, you know, I would say you got to <laughs> you know, put together some pretty good stuff. I just have this podcast. Um, how did you... Uh, how did you prepare, right? Everybody, most play-by-play -play people, you know, have their sheet with the lines or whatever, but, you know, did you, 
I know you put a lot of preparation into it, but do you think it was any different than perhaps that it is now or when you've done these games in the last few years? Has anything changed? It, for me, it, it has changed dramatically. Um, over the years, you didn't get press notes going back uh, back to the L.A. days, Atlanta days. You didn't get a, a press package the way you do now or a media package. Uh, you didn't have uh, uh, game by game. You, you looked it up. You kept your own notes uh, for, for your team and hoped that you could get some information from the other guys and the other broadcasters. But now everything is, is laid out for you. Um, line, lines, number one. Number two, um, streaks. Uh, number of games without a goal, without a point, or number of games missed prior to coming back tonight from an injury. Uh, this kind of thing. Preparation. I used to uh, figure after the morning skate, uh, by the time I got home, I had usually two, two and a half hours, I felt, for prep. And then I would be back in the arena probably no later than 5 o'clock, 4.30, 5 o'clock, that area. And that's when you got to basically to talk to uh, the visiting coach, not so much in the morning as, uh, as just prior to game time. Or you were, you were there when the bus arrived, and if you knew somebody, you had a friend, uh, a confidant, so to speak, on the other team, uh, you got your opportunity to talk to him then. More Hockey Press Pass with Chris Botta and Jiggs McDonald next. Hey guys, it's producer Pat, and I want to tell you about Instat Hockey. Instat Hockey offers the largest statistical data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by coaches, scouts, players, and of course, media personnel at every level of the game, there is no better choice than Instat to help in the evaluation of games and individual players. The Instat Hockey platform saves the user hours of time watching game film. Team and player statistics are pre-cut into separate playlists, including players' individual shifts, and all video clips can be edited, shared, and downloaded by the user. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more info. Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. Games for sale and games for play. Food and drink, beer and wine, fun and friends. Bring the magic of phones down, eyes up, tabletop board games to your family. Their staff will help you find the right board game for you. From card and party games to games for families to strategy games, we have it all. Get off your screens and unplug your game for a night your family will remember. Looking for groups to join? Our Magic, The Gathering, Dungeons & Dragons, or Warhammer communities are welcoming for all. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village. Go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Find your crowd. Unplug your game. The players on that team who I didn't get to meet, you know, some, a lot of them toward the end of their careers, or I uh, was certainly honored to play a small hand in, you know, the reti banner retirement nights. But one thing that strikes me, and, and I remember George Vesey telling me about this and, and from the New York Times and writing about it, Larry Brooks has said it too, is that the guys in that room, as we say, right, but Nystrom, Gillies, Potvin, Butchie Goring, uh, obviously you, you can name four or five, uh, please uh, jump in, but they they all were good guys, which I know sometimes could be overrated, but also like articulate and accessible. Like they seem to, they're, they love the game. And from, you know, from what I'm told is from, you know, you know, from the people who were in that locker room, 
during the dynasty, you know, and yes, it's easier when you win and I get it, but, uh, but that this was a great group to deal with and to be around. Can you explain what that was like from your perspective, Jax? Chris, as a parent, uh, there wasn't one guy in that dressing room that you wouldn't want showing up at your door to date your daughter. Uh, th these were classy individuals, every last one of them. Uh, there, there wasn't, there wasn't a, a situation of politics or backbiting. Well, you know, my ice time's down because you scored in the last game. You're getting more else, else favoring you. Over there was no politics. Uh, Bill Torrey had a, a hard, firm policy that as of March 1st, no more personal appearances, no more team functions. You got ready for games in April, May. Uh, it didn't drag on into June at that time or July, but you got yourself ready. Ron Waskey, trainer, physical therapist, or whatever you want to call him, Ron had a, had a series of testing that each individual did. And you better be at a certain point by the 1st of March. You've got uh, three weeks, two weeks or whatever to reach that point. He had a, a conditioning program, um, body fat, this kind of thing that, that he, he's really stressed. I mean, uh, I, I'm sure the guys today even hear that voice in, in their head saying, oh, you're a pound overweight. You better, you better stretch. You better run. You better get to yourself better condition. It, it was... Um, it was just a well-run operation. I, I'd come basically from a, uh, I guess, a country club atmosphere in Atlanta. Nobody, I'm, the majority of people on the street didn't recognize any of the Atlanta Flames. The guys could do what they wanted. They could run hell wide and crooked, and, and a lot of them did. Uh, and we'd had the same situation in L.A. L.A. was an expansion team in 67 where you had guys at the end of their careers and just uh, wanting to live as, as best they could. Um, curfew, what's that? I mean, you know, with, uh, with the Islanders, when I arrived, fall of 80, I, I was just, I was struck by the discipline and the quality individuals involved. Speaking, of, and by the way, I keep on thinking about Bill Torrey's confidence and telling you, come on board, we're going to win a bunch here. Uh, I think I might come back to that after this one. Uh, I, I like to try to talk about some of the players who aren't mentioned as much as the uh, number retirement guys. So uh, speaking of people who took the game seriously, what was it like to be around Dwayne and Brent Sutter? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh dog, as they call him, uh, Dwayne. I, I've been in touch with Dwayne recently. He's in Prague, by the way. And I said, oh, it's got to be the witness protection program. <laughs> <laughs> dog right away. We go, rrr, rrr. Uh, Brent, just the intensity. Uh, Dwayne had a, a wicked sense of humor. Uh, Brent was all business, all business. I mean, just uh, you knew it was game day. You talk about Smitty and the snarl on his face. Uh, Brent had that. Dwayne had that uh, that wicked look in his eye, you know, like he's up to something. When he uh, trailed Brian Murray across the ice one night in Washington, talking to him with the list that Brian had uh, just given it to him, dog dog was was wicked. No, they they just uh, the intensity of the Sutters. And uh, well, you go back to the opening of uh, the new arena, the U.S. Uh, 
B-Center? UBS. <laughs> I knew I was just throwing it out there because I'd done it on opening night, Chris, and I said, let me try this. Um, I saw you right but, after. I was like, so what? I, I said, by the way, the, 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 the company, they, they just got more publicity, right? Because yes, the, the more people talk yeah. about it. But I was uh, talking to Daryl in, in the hotel lobby that morning, and, and it's, I mean, it's Sutter's through and through. They they just, it's that straight line. Man, yep. there's no deviation there. Could you add anything to the legend of, of Billy Smith, right? So a story that you can tell, right? There's a lot of legends out there in terms of not talking, uh, maybe uh, tapping or worse, people with a stick who might have gotten his way on his on his in his way on the way to the ice. But is there uh, something that you could say about Smitty uh, that speaks to his competitiveness, intensity, and oh, by the way, great golden? Well, ju just that. Wayne Gretzky on the air with Butch and I one night in Vancouver, or I may have been Edmonton, one or the other. Uh, Butchie asked him about uh, Smitty, and he said, the best goaltender he had ever faced in his life, the absolute best. Uh, so many have said, and, I, and I'll parrot this too, if you had one game that you had to win, what goaltender do you want? Billy Smith. Competitive. Competitive. Anything. He'll do whatever it takes to win. Al Arbor, um, and this, I'm just going to expound on this story. When um, when the Pierre Turgeon incident with uh, Dale Hunter, uh, on our way to Pittsburgh the next day for the next series, and I went up to Al and said, if uh, the commissioner were to allow you to pick up one player, one guy from Washington to replace, this is just hypothetical, who would you want? Dale Hunter. What? Dale Hunter, you just put your best player out of commission. What are you talking about, Dale? Jakes, he'll do anything to win. He competes. He wants to win. That's the guy I want. And that's the guy Smitty was. Yeah, no, I hear you. Why, why? So I get it. The Islanders came close in the late seventies and had some heartbreak, and and it said that sometimes you have to have that heartbreak before you you win the big one or four in this case. But any other thoughts as to why William A. Torrey, who by the way is going into the American Hockey League Hall of Fame soon, deservedly, um, as to why he uh, was so confident? I think he knew. The, the individuals, he knew the individual skill, he knew the desire, the, the willingness to sacrifice the body, sacrifice uh, uh, home, uh, whatever. Hockey was number one. Hockey took precedence over any other situation that you might have. He knew he knew what he had in that dressing room. Uh, when he had made the deal for, for Butch, and as I said earlier, took the pressure off Brian, had that second line center, Brian Trache in this case, uh, he, he knew the depth of his hockey team, and he just felt that from what other teams had done and what he was capable of doing, if, if necessary, to, uh, to tweak that lineup, that he was in a position to do it. Do you, uh, I know you, you're a hockey fan, but do you uh, admire or when you're watching a game, do you study the play-by-play -play announcers? Not study them, but do you embrace it or, yeah? So yeah, I do. Brendan Burke has been very well received, right? The, the highest compliment is that somehow we, we've had this line of greatness that started with you uh, through, through Brendan. But I am wondering what you think of Brendan's calls. I think Brendan is the best 
in the business, best in the league overall right now. Uh, there, there's nobody with the, the, the voice quality, the, the excitement, the, uh, the ability to take you right, right to the ice. Uh, he, he is right now the epitome. He is the role model. What every young play-by-play aspiring young man should be looking to listen to Brendan. Listen to how he works with Butchie. Butchie's a little different in that he is in a lot as compared to other uh, analysts in the game, uh, but that's his style, and Brendan works with it so well. When Brendan transitions to TNT, when he was doing NBC, uh, his ability to uh, to work uh, just to to mesh with uh, with whatever analyst he was paired with uh, it speaks volumes. He, he is he is top rung. So not just in the spirit of the local announcer for the Islanders, but also on the national games. Yes, by all means. Yeah. Great to hear. Um, what was it like to see the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum close in the proper fashion that, you know, we saw all along? Of course, it would close with a win, right? But what was that like for you to see? That, that was great. I mean, you, you look back at the years, uh, the number of the projects that went on, uh, building the suites, putting another elevator in the team, you know, that starting with 13 games on the road is not unusual for an Islanders franchise because there was construction going on a lot of those years, as you know, Chris, uh, go out west, go here, go there, any, anywhere but home because we're not ready for it here yet. Uh, just so many memories, so many wonderful people that we got to meet, people that would come by when we, Eddie and I were in the, the seats, basically just to, above the lower bowl, um, camera there as well. Uh, the young man, well, I, he's probably my age, but he was our security guy, uh, Usher as well. Willie O'Connell, stay in touch with Willie. Uh, some of the camera people, just uh, just the people who worked there, the, the fans, uh, the people that were couples that sat behind Eddie and I, uh, in touch with, the, with their children now, who we got to meet as they were growing up and coming to games. It um, just just a bookful, a bookful of wonderful memories of the building, and really, it's the people who not only worked there but came to events there that made it the, the story building that it was. Port uh, Never Lose, a uh, great concert location. There wasn't a bad seat in the house, especially the broadcast booth, which I assume you've covered the broadcast booth. There wasn't a broadcast booth; there was a table. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> But, but 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 I can only imagine what your face when you show up in these newer buildings and have to call a game. And by the way, that's the case for all announcers. Like they, they sometimes they send pictures uh, on Twitter of how far I'm like, they don't even look like they're in the arena. Chicks. That's um, a whole other subject, Chris. Uh, we, we, I could get into uh, the fact that television and radio pays a rights fee, whereas your newspaper does not pay a rights fee to, to cover the game. And the people that pay this rights fee are looked upon. Well, what do you mean you need to see the game? No, no, up, up there, go up, okay. way up there. Good um, point. Uh, first, first game I did in Dallas. I said, uh, "Yeah, the game's being played in Dallas, but I feel we're in Fort Worth doing this broadcast." <laughs> Very good one. I want to end with this. Speaking of the people who went into the Coliseum to see those concerts and those games. Uh, you know, 54 years or so since you did your first game in the NHL. What is your 
message? What, what would you say to the, the, the Islander fans, not just on Long Island, but anywhere in New York, anywhere in the world, uh, who uh, watched you and, and uh, befriended you, or whether you know, became close friends with them or just friends through the, through the television? Love you. Love you like you can't believe. Uh, thanks for accepting me, us, accepting the McDonald family. Um, and just the, the memories. But thank you for the, the good times, the, the learning experiences. As I said earlier, a bit of a culture shock, uh, how things are done, how, how words are pronounced, how, uh, how, how you time your, your travel, the Long Island Expressway or, or any of the parkways. Uh, I remember shopping in a, in a meat market on a Long Island one morning and this lady said to me, Jake's McDonald? And, and Marilyn was with me and said, yes. But what are you doing here? Well, the same as you're doing, shopping for, for groceries. Well, I, I just figured you'd eat out all the time. No, no, no. Our, our children need clothing. We, we cook at home probably six out of seven nights, uh, sometimes seven. We, we could go a whole month without going out at, at times. But uh, no, just, just thank you for accepting me. That's, that's perfect. Uh, my best to you, to Mrs. McDonald, your family, and, and thank you so much. This meant the world to me for you to do this, and, and I can't thank you enough. I look forward to seeing you at the rink or, or in Florida or New York or somewhere else soon down the road, okay? Chris, I look forward to it, too. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Jiggs. All right, a huge thank you to the legend Jiggs McDonald for spending some time and telling such great stories, and that'll do it for this episode. For everybody here on the Hockey Press Pass family, Danny, Ksenia, and of course Chris, I'm Pat Boyle. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week on a new episode of Hockey Press Pass. Hockey Press Pass.